Uh, we are glad that you're here. All of you who were able to pay attention to that time change, good job. Or for those of you, man, I just don't sleep at all. It just worked out that way. Uh, we're glad you're here. We've been in this series one at a time for the last several weeks. And the idea of this is um, how we're going to convey our influence, just one person at a time, one life at a time, one moment at a time, one dollar at a time, just one thing at a time, how God's going to be doing this movement through his people. And so this morning, we get to talk about one gift at a time. And uh, if you've ever been in a class that I taught, or if you're uh, part of uh, uh, Aftershock with me, you've got to hear my spiel on spiritual gifts. If you haven't, you're probably going to hear something that you haven't heard before, because it, this kind of becomes a soapbox of mine. Um, but in order for us to get there, I want you to pretend something with me, okay? Let's pretend that we are not living in 2023, that we are living in the first century right after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And let's just say for the sake of argument that we're all uh, gathering here in Derby. We're, we're, we're God-fearing people. Um, but we've heard about guys like uh, this Saul Paul fellow who's been going to town to town speaking about what this truth of God is. And so our, we're kind of curious about this. He's up in Wichita doing this, but he's now offended somebody in Wichita, so they're trying to boot him out. And so he's running away from Wichita so he doesn't get killed. So he comes to Derby, and he sees that there's a group of God-fearing people gathering. And so he starts saying, hey, you know this God that you're talking about? Uh, let me tell you a little bit more. And so he explains to us the resurrection of Jesus, and it's got us intrigued. And we go, man, you know what? That sounds an awful lot like uh, we, we heard this other guy. His name was Apollos. Uh, he was speaking some similar types of things. Paul, explain a little bit more to us what this resurrection business is all about. And so he does. Um, but eventually he goes on to another town. Say he goes out to Hayesville or he goes further west because he's got more people to tell about this resurrection. And so uh, eventually there's another guy. Um, and, and he sounds like a spiritual guy too. His name's Peter. Uh, and, and for those of us that are super spiritual, we call him Cephas, right? And he comes and he reinforces some of the teachings that we heard from Paul and we heard from Saul. Now, this is really important, okay? And, and I want you to really put your mind in that spot. Because if we are in that time, we don't have this leather-bound book that tells us uh, certain things that we now understand we sometimes we take for granted, like we're gathering together and we're trying to figure it out. What do we do when we gather like this? We can't just open up to chapter and verse to figure that. out. Matter of fact, there is no such person as, as William Whittingham. And you're going, well, who's William Whittingham? William Whittingham was the first guy to actually put chapter numbers and verse numbers in our Bibles so that we can open up pretty cleanly and go, oh, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Oh, that's what it means when we gather together like this. That doesn't exist. None of us can go online and order from Amazon any version of the Bible that we want because those things are happening. They're being uh, created and invented and sent as we are gathering. That's the exact same situation that the church in Corinth was experiencing. And so when they were gathering together, there was no structure. There was no order to their, to their gathering, to the church. They didn't know what they were doing. They'd get together, somebody would stand up, and they would say, I, I've, I've got a word from the Lord, here it is. And then someone from across the room would say, hey, I have a word from the Lord too, and it might be different than what that person is saying. 
And then that person's wife might stand up and go, my husband is nuts. Don't listen to him. Um, he, he doesn't, he's just making this up. And, and then, then what we would do is if we, were part of, if we were part of this first church in Corinth, we would try to show off how spiritual we are. So somebody might stand up and just start babbling something. And we'd go, what is he doing? And they go, um, that's just the spirit working in me. Okay. So they didn't know what it was that was happening. They go, they, so they sent word uh, by, by a messenger, say, Paul, tell us what we're supposed to do with this. What do we do when we gather together? And so in the book of 1 Corinthians, a large part of that book is Paul saying, hey, here is the structure. Here's what needs to happen when you get together. And part of what he addresses starting in chapter 12, when he says, now about spiritual gifts. Now about those of you, when you're gathering together, when we are putting, uh, acting on the Holy Spirit, here's some instruction. And he gives us three chapters of instructions concerning spiritual gifts. And so today we get to talk about one gift at a time. Now, I'm, I'm confident that how I'm going to explain this is probably not something that you have uh, thought about it this way before. You haven't heard it this way before. And again, this kind of becomes a soapbox of mine. And so I'm going to do my very, very best to be able to kind of give us a very broad picture. And then when it's all said and done, to kind of narrow that down for us so that we, we, can, we can take this idea of one gift at a time and do something with it. And so let's talk, let's talk about this broad picture as Paul is explaining. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians here in just a little bit. But there's going to be a lot of different scriptures that kind of feed into that as well. Uh, because we need to have a, 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 a pretty firm grasp when we're talking about spiritual gifts of what's going on. Because I think we sort of skewed from that over the last several years. So let's talk about broad picture. Broad picture, if we're going to say spiritual gifts, that we all need to practice our spiritual gifts, we need to understand what in the world we're talking about. Paul talks in several different churches in several different ways that we're actually part of something much, much bigger than just ourselves, than just our local gathering. We need to understand where our place is in God's big picture with this. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he instructs the Ephesians this way. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And I want to focus on that word fellow citizens for just a second. It's a unique word. It's only used here in the entire Bible. This is the only place that it's used in the Scripture. And it's kind of a complicated word. It's a politically charged word. In fact, when we have it in other ancient documents, um, there's a guy, his name is Josephus. He's a Jewish historian that would have lived around the same time as Paul. He uses that word when he's quoting the emperor Claudius. And Claudius has just stepped into his role as emperor. And he has a general named Caligula who has just performed a sacrifice that's a little bit different than what the Romans have been used to uh, experiencing, at least religiously. And Claudius stands up and he says, with Caligula's sacrifice, you all are fellow citizens with me. And he, for the first time ever, ever, the emperor, the one who is at the top of the whole echelon here, has just said in a political way that I am one of you, that we are fellow citizens. In other words, we are in this together. It's a politically charged word. It's a, way that he, it's a word that he used to gain favor with the people, and ultimately he used it to manipulate them. But Paul uses this in a different way for us. And the only way that that word carries any weight is what it, when, it, uh, when we use it, what it's connected to. 
And in this passage, Paul says that you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the power of fellow citizens is that we have the same identity as the other saints that are connected to God. Now, I'll talk about the word saints a little bit later on, but you need to understand if you're a believer in Christ, according to Scripture, you are a saint. Uh, And I know if you're anything like me, that's hard to think of myself as a saint, but I don't get to make up the rules. God's the one that describes us that way. That we are fellow citizens with the holy ones, with the holy people, is what he's saying. And in that same verse, he has another word in in Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now that word household is incredibly important as we are trying to figure out our identity and how we practice the Holy Spirit as well. The word household is the Greek word oikos. And oikos is a major, major word in the New Testament. Anytime we read the word house or household, and sometimes when we read the word family, It comes from the word oikos, or at least the root of that word. There's a pastor out in uh, California, just north of uh, San Diego. His name's Tom Mercer. And uh, their entire church practices what's called the oikos principle. And they spend all of their ministries defining what it means to be a part of the household of God, the oikos of God. And in this oikos principle, uh, Pastor Mercer says that One, this is the most natural and common environment for any ministry to occur. And so when we look around and we see how when we're serving together, that's our oikos. And he says that's kind of the second part of that too, that your oikos is the place where you have the most influence, the people that you have the most influence with and who probably have influence on you as well. And for most people, that's somewhere between three and 15 people in your life that is your oikos. And that may not strictly be a biological family. When he says, well, the oikos is also the people for whom God want you to be an instrument of grace for. And so as we express the good news of the scriptures, the people that get to hear that is our oikos. That's the principle of it. It's the space where deliverance from bondage of sin and freedom are experienced at the highest degree. And so he concludes that our oikos, our, our household that we are a part of, is a microcosm of what God is doing in the world at large. It's the very description, he says, of what the church ought to be. So you think about that. Who are the people that have the most influence in my life, and who is it that I have the most influence on their life? That is part of the ministry or oikos of God as it relates to my place in God's kingdom. Well, third word I think we need to wrap our brains around uh, exists in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And this verse says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll focus on that word citizenship. Again, a politically charged word that Paul intentionally uses. Theologian David Garland says that Paul uses this word to convey four different things here. First, um, uh, 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 this idea of citizenship or citizenship uh, being used in Philippi. Philippi was an outpost of Caesar's empire. What's that mean? It means that uh, what was going on in Rome 
was also to be going on in Philippi. So if you wanted uh, to know what was happening in Rome and you were in or near Philippi, you would go to Philippi and go, oh, that's what's happening in Rome. They represent Caesar. They represent the, the, the things going on uh, with Caesar. And so Paul uses this word to convey that God's people are an outpost of God's kingdom on earth. We want to know what heaven's up to? Let's look at God's people because we are citizens in heaven. He says, secondly, uh, that this word conveys with it that you have the rights and the privilege and the privileges of citizenship. So if you're a Philippian, you would still get to experience the rights and the privileges of a Roman. Well, spiritually speaking, as citizens of heaven, we get to experience the rights and the privileges of heaven. What's that mean? That means we get to experience the love of God. We get to experience the belonging of God. That our worth is defined by heaven. And that our security is firm with our citizenship in heaven. Well, finally, he says that it's important to realize that uh, not only was Philippi an outpost of Rome, but it was also a, a Roman colony. And Roman colonies... Um, were defined as miniature Romes, miniature Romes. And so the church then, uh, in the same way, exemplifies the values of the heavenly realm. And so that's our broad picture here, that we belong to something that's bigger than just ourself, that we are part of a greater kingdom of God. And it's important for us to remember that as we talk then about spiritual gifts, because the Corinthians go, okay, we're, we're a part of this heavenly citizenship thing, but, but Paul, you, you talked to us at one point about spiritual gifts. What are we supposed to do with all of this? And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, now concerning the spiritual gifts. And so what is a spiritual gift? And this is where uh, things just take off for us. This is where things take off for us. First of all, if we're going to talk about one gift at a time, we need to know this, that one gift at a time is a movement then from consuming to contributing. That when we talk spiritual gifts, we're talking about how we contribute to the kingdom as a citizen of heaven, as a fellow citizen with the other saints, and as part of being in God's household. But unfortunately, the church has become a place that we consume. That Christian has become a genre of things that we purchase or a product that we seek out. How many of us have come to church and say, man, what do they have for me today? Or how many of us have left a place going, he didn't really give me anything today. He didn't really feed me today. I think this is what happens when Christian becomes a genre. I think this is what happens when church becomes something to be consumed. We tend to make what is very, very simple in the gospel, and we've made it very, very complicated when we've turned it into a product that we got a package. When we start comparing churches that this pastor is better than this pastor, or this message is better than this message, and we completely complicated the simplicity of the gospel. Our spiritual heritage is simple. Our, our, our citizenship with fellow saints is a simple message. The direction in the Garden of Eden, stay away from one tree. Simple. The cost of disobedience to that was death. That's a simple message. The plan of redemption is that Jesus buys us back with his ministry and the cross and his resurrection. That's a simple message. 
The price of that redemption was his death. The message of the cross was his unconditional love. And the essence of that salvation is God's unfathomable grace that we heard from Ariel just a little bit ago. That's a simple message. But when we start uh, acting like we're consumers, if I were to stand up here like I have something to sell you and you're uh, my customer and I'm trying to convince you to buy it, we've complicated what is simple. So our goal then is to move from consumer to contributor. It's that that we, we ask ourselves, how can I move from a spectator to a fellow citizen with the saints? And I think we simply do it by seeing a need and meeting it. That's it. We see a need and meeting it. And when we do that as citizens in heaven, that's exercising spiritual gifts. That's exercising what God has given us. And the gift is his Holy Spirit. You see, the life of the believer finds its meaning and purpose in association with God's kingdom. The purpose is expressed by the Holy Spirit through the life of the Christian. It's not something to be consumed. Christianity is not a product to be sold and managed. Faith is not just an agreement then about a set of propositional phrases, and then we convince each other of those. But it is a participation with Christ, and as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12, for the building up of one another. You see, faith in Jesus Christ is at once then a denial of the self and an involvement in the work of God in the present time. So how do we define spiritual gifts then? How do we define that kind of concept? Well, luckily for us, Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 7, he says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that's it. If you walk away with anything this morning, walk away with that. What is a spiritual gift? It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the believer in Jesus Christ for the purpose of the common good of the church. In some translations, he, uh, Paul, uh, they translate it as for the edification of the church. It's the way that the Holy Spirit works inside of the believer, not for the believer's sake, but for the others that have gathered with us, for the saints of the church that have gathered with us. Your spiritual gift is the way that you uh, are able to reveal the Spirit working in you to build one another up. See, spiritual gifts, then, uh, can't just be about our talents and can't just be about our abilities because the talent is about the individual. And ultimately, the talent doesn't really require the, the Holy Spirit anyway. But a spiritual gift is about the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, it it can't be natural talents. And I've heard this over the last 30 years described this way more than anything else I've ever heard. Uh, If it's about natural talents, honestly, then my spiritual gift is sarcasm and procrastination and something else I'll get to a little bit later on. It can't be about what we do naturally because the Holy Spirit is supernatural. It's the way that the Holy Spirit works in you for the building up of the church. It's the way that you are able to contribute then to the movement that God does in his church. If it's just about natural talents, man, I think about Moses. Um, When when, when he confronts the the burning bush and God says, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. And Moses starts stuttering. God, you're going to send me to do this? I can't even speak in front of people. Uh, he's like, don't you, don't you understand? I don't have the natural ability to be able to do this. And he says, man, I'm going to do this through you. It's about my work going through you. I think about Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah, who prophesied to a bunch of people, to the, to the Jews, saying, if you guys continue this way, God's judgment is going to land on you. And so they threw him in prison. Because my natural ability, my talent is to go to prison. And he says while he's in prison, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not any good. Clearly, I've landed in jail. And he says, but your word is like a fire that's built up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. See, a, 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 whole, a, a spiritual gift is about the Holy Spirit. It's not about the individual. It's also not a personality trait. Um, I get asked all the time, all the time I get asked, hey, Nick, do you know any good spiritual gift assessments? And I said, I think there's only one that, that, that's actually useful. Um, I don't think any of our modern spiritual gift assessments actually tell us what our spiritual gifts are. I think those assessments tell us what our personality is. And a, holy, and a spiritual gift may be something that's very different than your personality. Um, but I think if we're going to go and try to assess how the Holy Spirit's working in us, that there's only one place that we go, and it's the same place that Paul went. I think that since we have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit, that's what we ought to use. I have seen too many times the most introverted of people God put in front of the biggest crowds. And I've seen too many times the most extroverted of people, God silencing them, and they start working with their hands. The Holy Spirit may work in something that's counter to your personality. And those assessments really tell you more about you and less about God and what the work is that he's doing in you. Um, where do we go to get these gifts? Man, Paul tells us, turn to God. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you for the building up of the church. Look at the church, see a need, and try to meet that need. I've heard people uh, confuse spiritual gifts with the fruit of the Spirit. And we don't have time to really dig into that too much, um, but we, we do. We confuse this all the time. The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is part of the identity of every single believer. And the fruit of the Spirit tells us more about spiritual maturity. The gifts of the Spirit tell us more about spiritual ministry. The fruit of the Spirit is God's work in us. The, the, the gift of the Spirit is how we reveal that out of us and how we use those, those fruit, that fruit to serve in the church. All of us are called to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But not all of us are called to every single spiritual gift. God works in all of us in a different way. But it's about his work and not ours. And finally, I've heard people uh, tell me all the time, or they've used this concept of spiritual gifts really as an excuse to get out of ministry, when spiritual gifts is the very reason why we do ministry or how we do ministry. I've heard this all the time. Uh, you call us to evangelize, or you told us we should go tell our friends about Jesus, but evangelism isn't my spiritual gift. And when I hear this, I think of somebody who just got thrown overboard on a boat asking for someone to help, and I stand above them, and I go, you know what? I've got the lifesaver right here, but throwing really isn't my gift. I'm sorry. It's the same idea. We see a need and we meet it. That's how the Holy Spirit manifests himself in us. That's how he does that. And so we do. We throw even if we're not good at throwing. We jump in even if we're not great at swimming. We do, we do that because it's not an excuse. John 3, 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word wind and spirit is the same word. 
And we need to pay attention to that. So for us to figure out what's going on or what our spiritual gift is, we need to set our sail up and let the Holy Spirit grab it. And we go wherever the Spirit goes, even if it's not our natural ability, even if it's not our personality. Instead of excuses, let's sail with the Spirit. Paul, Paul says it a different way in Ephesians 4.12. He says that a spiritual gift is used to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. According to Paul, you're a saint if you've placed your, your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus. And so when we sit here and go ask these questions, what is my spiritual gift? I think there's a better question to ask than that. I think a better question is, what's the ministry need? And how can I contribute to it? You see, in God's economics, your gift really isn't your gift. Your gift is the church's gift. And let me, let me spell it out this way. As of last weekend, in the, in the year 2023, South Rock Christian Church, on every weekend, has averaged about 1,156 people in attendance. And for the sake of argument, let's just pretend that all 1,156 people uh, have placed their trust in Jesus. That means the Holy Spirit is working in 1,156 people. Um, and so for, if only one person has one way that the Spirit reveals himself for the building up of the church, then 1,155 people benefit from that one person's gift. Because it's not that person's gift, it's the church's gift. And if we do that 1,156 times, then that means that God takes the one gift in you and blesses the socks off of everyone. 1,335,180 times in just one weekend. So your gift's not your gift, it's the church's. But it's better because everyone else's gift is yours as well. See how that works? So what do we do with all of this? Well, here's my challenge. It's very, very simple. One gift at a time, we move from consuming the church to contributing to the church. So jump in. Start living outside of yourself and serve somewhere. Ask yourself this, Lord, how can I contribute in such a way that the body of Christ is built up and not torn down? Maybe that's in a small way, but the church is edified in that small way. Well, but maybe it's in this like really big way that you really have to step outside of yourself, that it is not a natural thing for you to do, but man, that's where the Holy Spirit is. And the church gets edified that way. You see, that kind of thing doesn't happen on individual talent or individual ability alone, but strictly through the work of God in the believer. The church benefits that way. So here's what our prayer is going to be as we wrap this up. It's kind of a three-part prayer here. First, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus yet, or, or this concept of spiritual gifts is a new thing to you, I want to say that I get that this is a really strange teaching. Like, this is a bizarre thing to talk about. The Holy Spirit working inside me for the betterment of the church. I'm here to tell you that our first prayer is that you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that that happens when you accept that Jesus died a sinner's death in your place and that he rose again three days later to conquer sin once and for all. And so that he can be your savior and your leader when you receive him in faith and we follow through in baptism. And so his grace then becomes this endless gift for you and I because ultimately the true spiritual gift is God himself. And so I'm going to pray that, man, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. 
Secondly, I'm going to pray that for you to think about one gift at a time in a new way. That, that your prayer is, Lord, forgive me for thinking of myself as a customer. What can I get out of service? Lord, help me to see a need and use me to build up this project that you've called your church. So I'm going to pray for that. And finally, I'm praying that God will magnify his spirit in all of us collectively, that he will show up in a way that we will be blown away. And it's not about us, but it's about his presence within the body, that not one person gets a single ounce of credit for a way that God is going to move and that God would be glorified because we have said, how can I contribute? So that's our prayer. I'm gonna pray for us right now and just know that if any of that you're wrestling with, if any of that exists, we have a prayer room over there. We've got people that would love to walk with you through some of that. Um, and so at any point in the service or after service or in between services, go over there. They'll pray with you and talk with you more about that. But let me pray for us right now. God, we come to you as humbly as we possibly can. Lord, so often we have made spiritual gifts about us, the individuals. But God, you, the gift you give us is truly the grace that you lavishly pour out on each and every one of us. And that grace exists in the form of your presence. And so, Lord, if there is somebody here uh, this morning that has never placed trust or faith in that, God, would you start knocking on the door of their heart in a way that they couldn't deny it? Lord, would you even make them uncomfortable this morning uh, until they start answering some of these questions that you have? God, I also pray for those of us that have showed up week in and week out just asking, what does the church have for me today? God, that you would change our hearts in that. God, that we would come uh, rather than just saying, what, can, what, is, what is it that I can take with me? That we would say, what is it that I can give? What is it that I can do to contribute? What is a way, Lord, that even this weekend I would be able to build up or be a part of the building up of this thing you call the church? And finally, God, I do pray uh, that you would work in this local body, in this congregation, in a way that just knocks our community out. God, that we can truly be a part of this thing that we read in Scripture about turning the world upside down, Lord, that we'd be able to see that because you, of the movement of your Holy Spirit. Help us in all of those ways. God, we know that that is all uh, uh, able to happen strictly because of what you did with Jesus on the cross and about how you barred the tomb for a few days. Three days later, God, that he rose from the grave, conquering all sin, conquering all of its implication. And God, that uh, giving, you've given us a hope that we have each and every day to live in that purpose. Would you use our one gift to really uh, be that type of blessing to one another? as we find our identity in your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.